Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national political reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about what you need to know about Arizona's care facilities. If you know someone in any care facility across the state, this will be a big one. We're talking about it now because of a new investigation into the Hacienda Health Care Facility in Phoenix. It's an intermediate care facility, which means it treats patients with severe intellectual and physical disabilities, and it's been very controversial this year after news broke about abuse at the facility. Just a warning. In this episode, we talk about some pretty upsetting instances of abuse. But we also talk about what Hacienda's problems tell us about the entire care facility industry in Arizona. Are state and federal leaders doing enough to oversee these facilities? Who's enforcing the rules that protect our loved ones? Let's dive in. Hacienda Healthcare is a facility where an incapacitated patient was raped and she gave birth. Another patient was found with maggots near a surgical wound. The rape, of course, became international news. It sparked outrage over conditions at Hacienda, as well as fear over what might be happening at other care facilities across the state. Many of us are still wondering about the fallout. Arizona officials and Hacienda claim that they have taken appropriate actions and that things are better. Parents of patients at Hacienda say it's a nice facility that they like. But a new Republic investigation reveals new information about its conditions and what it may mean for patients and the public more broadly. Here to talk about that with us are reporters Robert Anglin and Stephanie Innes. What do you two usually cover? Thanks for having me. I cover health with a focus on patient safety, hospital quality, consumer experiences, and health policy. And I'm an investigative reporter. I cover consumer issues, particularly fraud, waste, and abuse. I think the reason that this story is so big with so many of us is that we know what it's like to have loved ones in care facilities or to be um, really at the hands and in the care of, of people who are not family. Yeah, I think that's why so many people were outraged about this. I think we can all think of somebody in our family or somebody we know. There's a more universal issue here than just this one case. We focused on the intermediate care facility, or what they call ICFs. It's a place for people with severe intellectual disability. The name makes it sound like a junior-level care facility, but it really is the maximum level of care. These are the people who are the most vulnerable and need the most help. There are 90,000 people in the state's developmental care program and less than 200 people in Arizona who stay in facilities like this. But again, they're the most vulnerable. There are also other types of care homes I should mention. There are nursing homes, which are known as skilled nursing, and that's for a higher level of care. They're typically older people. Then there's assisted living, a slightly lower level, although you can get people in those facilities who have severe dementia and are, you know, they're completely vulnerable, but they don't necessarily have nurses and doctors on the premises. There are also group homes, and then there are people who hire caregivers at home. So there are a lot of options. So before we get into your new investigation, what do we need to know about Hacienda? Well, since the news of the rape and birth broke 
in January. We've had uh, we've run well over 40 stories about Hacienda, but it's hard to keep up or make out what's meaningful or how it impacts everyone. So we wanted to um, to tell them and and tell them all exactly what's going on. I think there's some confusion out there about even whether it's still open. So I went to Hacienda Healthcare a few weeks ago, and this tends to be a younger demographic. Um, and from talking to their parents and their loved ones, they don't tend to do as well in nursing homes or what we know as assisted living facilities and sometimes these smaller group homes. For instance, there's a young man there who's 30, and he's completely mobile, but he has the mental capacity of an infant. So he's a danger to himself, um, and he has to have 24-7 monitoring to make sure he doesn't walk out of the facility, to make sure he doesn't put medication in his mouth, Does he, he doesn't eat other things. Um, and other people in there are on breathing and feeding tubes, but they're younger and they need stimulation and socialization. Uh, and they tend to do better in this type of setting. A lot of them have been there almost their entire lives. I, I did meet a few who have been there longer than 20 years. The one thing that these facilities do have in common is that they are home to people who oftentimes cannot advocate for themselves. They rely on the government, they rely on health inspectors, they rely on our elected officials to take care of them and to help them out as they best can. Yeah, there was a community meeting after the news of the rape at Hacienda, and the level of outrage, I can tell you, was intense. The room was packed, and people were angry. There were people with loved ones who have Down syndrome or Alzheimer's saying this is a clear illustration that there are not enough protections for vulnerable adults in Arizona. You know, who's watching out for them? Even though this is an intermediate care facility, people do think this is representative of a greater problem in Arizona that we need to address, and that's fair. Let's talk specifically about what has happened at Hacienda for a moment, and then we'll talk about what it means more broadly for the entire care facility industry here in Arizona. Can you sum up what you found in your investigation, Robert? Hacienda officials, particularly the CEO, want to frame this as one bad actor. They want to say that this rape reflects one instance of bad conduct, and they shouldn't be judged by it, that it's going to destroy the, the institution based on one thing. But our investigation shows it isn't one thing, and problems have been stacking up there for years. Okay, so you identified problems dating to 2016. But what's new? What, what can you tell us about Hacienda now? Federal regulators are done giving Hacienda chances, and they're threatening to pull their Medicaid funding. They've come to the conclusion that there's safety and health concerns that can't be addressed. So, And that could cost Arizona taxpayers big time, maybe as much as $15.9 million. That's because people who are housed in these facilities rely on Medicaid. Um, many of them can't walk. Many of them uh, can't feed themselves. So it's really highly specialized care, and it is expensive. Most recently, federal regulators are basing that decision on two new cases of abuse that haven't really been brought to light. State officials, meanwhile, well, what they're doing is they keep giving them chances. They say that they're pulling the, the license, but what that really is, that's saber rattling. They're threatening it in hopes that they can 
better control Hacienda. But our investigation is raising real questions about whether the state has seriously any intention of taking away their license and shutting the facility down, which, by the way, officials have been threatening to do for the last nine months. So since you have uncovered these allegations and incidents of wrongdoing, has anything changed inside of Hacienda? But there have been some changes. Board members have gone. The um, chairman of the board, who had his position for years, decades, um, has stepped down after our investigations. And the state has demanded change. They've implemented regular, regulatory controls. New legislation has required them to be licensed. But the officials, the public health agencies who are in charge of this facility, there seems to be a disconnect between their rhetoric and what's actually done. So, and when I visited, they had this very high-tech sign-in process, um, though in the past they had just a book with paper and pen that visitors signed. Um, so it makes you wonder what's security like at the facilities that aren't under this kind of intense, basically international scrutiny. So let's think about the political part of this equation again for just a moment. What response are we seeing now in the Ducey administration or hearing from the legislature? The legislators have um, implemented a new licensing policy, um, which, by the way, the state gave these guys a free pass for 22 years on being regulated by the state. They weren't required to have a license. Um, Ducey has asked for the board to step down. He said he had no faith in them. Um, we've heard about independent investigators coming in and reviewing the, the what's going on. We've heard about new video surveillance, new, new implements for security and safety at the hospital. So there's a lot of big talk, but what you're saying is the policy changes haven't matched the rhetoric. Right. How do you know that? Well, you can look at what's actually happened. For instance, let's take Governor Ducey's demand that the board step down. They essentially ignored that. The board members weren't forced off. The, the entire board wasn't removed. Not only that, when board members quit, it was because of other external issues. I would argue that our investigation led to the res resignation of the chairman after decades on the board. Once we showed that he was making money and had business opportunities, we had to point out that there was nepotism. Governor Ducey called for an investigation. We don't know where that investigation is. But let us not forget that they opened a criminal investigation into claims and allegations of Medicaid fraud against Hacienda in 2016. That, in, that investigation fizzled out. It's being dealt with now two, three years later as a civil case. So, and then there's the whole idea that the state has given them this license that's going to give them this control over it, and they threaten to take the license away. But what really happens is talks, appeals, more negotiation. Now, some of that's a just a byproduct of bureaucracy, but it also really undercuts the idea that we're being tough on Hacienda. There's a lot of talk, but the action isn't following up. So you guys went out and got a lot of public records to try to get a sense of how this facility was operating and what the oversight looked like. What did those records tell you? Well, getting records about these facilities isn't as easy as you think. Um, and we actually wanted to look at all of the facilities that are, that are similar to, to Hacienda. And we have been unable to get those records. Yeah, we can look at them online, but um, we could not look at the paper files 
and they said it wouldn't be anything different than what we see online, but we still thought it would be prudent to look at the paper files. Okay, Robert, so you sort of alluded to the next question for me, which is, what does this Hacienda case tell us more broadly about the bigger problem or not at other facilities? Uh, What do we know about Arizona facilities? The relatives of people in Hacienda are determined to keep them there, and they say it's because it's the best. Well, if this is the best the state has to offer, and I submit two new abuse cases, a rape case, allegations of Medicaid fraud, maggots found on a patient, it raises some serious questions about what's going on at these other state facilities. It's also important to note there are six uh, intermediate care facilities in the state. Hacienda is the only private one. The other five are run by the state. When I did speak with the parents, um, they said that those facilities are A, not as nice as Hacienda, and B, do not have the capacity or the ability to care for patients with such high medical needs as their loved ones have. Um, You know, and I've walked into other facilities, not ICFs, but nursing homes, assisted living facilities, and they have smelled horrible, and I would never want a loved one there. And I will tell you that when I went to Hacienda, it was very nice, and it, it smelled nice, and the the people working there, the direct caregivers had worked there for a, a lot of years and seemed to really care about the patients. But we also have to remember that Hacienda was given a, an effective monopoly by state legislators more than 20 years ago. They prevented any other facility like this from opening up which flies in the face, of course, of capitalism and business and all the things that Arizona is supposed to stand for. This facility was allowed to operate and protected from competition by state legislators. And there is no explanation for why those laws were passed. Okay. So let's get to the big picture on what this says about our state government, that we can't get them to enforce action against this fairly outrageous abuse. It sort of reminds me of the VA, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. We have a lot of problems. We've identified these over the years, and here we are, and we still haven't solved the the underlying issues. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't see any additional protections that tell us it hasn't happened somewhere else in the past or couldn't be going on in other places in Arizona. And it really does beg the question of what could we be doing? What more could we be doing to protect vulnerable adults in Arizona? I don't know the answer. But I will tell you it's rare for a state for the state to shut down a facility. I personally have been writing about healthcare for eleven years and I've never written about the state shutting a facility down. I do know in Tucson there was one shut down about a year ago, but law enforcement was involved in that case. They arrested the owner after residents had spent days without air conditioning in July and some of them were hospice patients. What strikes me about your reporting on this facility is that there are hundreds of care facilities across the state, across the country, really, in various ways that issues are flagged, there are problems repeatedly oftentimes. And some of the problems that you guys discovered in your new reporting um, were very fundamental basic inspection questions. Oh, yes, they're very, that's, that's regular. That I read those kinds of reports all the time. 
So how many facilities are there in Arizona? Uh, there are about 1,400 assisted living facilities in Arizona with about 2,500, 25,000 beds, plus 145 nursing homes that have an average 100 beds per facility. They do, uh, the state does routinely uh, survey these facilities and also find, you know, takes enforcement action against them. That's an awful lot of people and facilities, and Arizona is obviously home to an aging population. How does the state and the federal government keep up with these facilities and the inspection of them? Well, that's a good question. You know, I don't know the exact number of inspectors that they have, but their data says that they are responding to complaints um, in over 90% of the cases in a timely manner. I know in 2018 they did more than 12,000 surveys of various facilities that they license. So at these other facilities, what's the process to report and uncover abuse or neglect if it's happening? Uh, well, you know, you file a complaint. The, the problem is that it's, um, it's not always clear to people where they should be complaining to. You know, if the facility is licensed by the state, you can file a complaint with them. You can also file a complaint with Adult Protective Services, which is an entirely different agency from the Arizona Department of Health Services, which licenses facilities. So, um, you know, Adult Protective Services is part of the Arizona Department of Economic Security. In both cases, um, officials have a hard time substantiating complaints. Um, they say because some of the witnesses have Alzheimer's uh, or they don't remember well, there weren't witnesses. So the state uh, Department of Health Services has about, some, in some cases, less than 20% of allegations reported um, that were upheld in 2016, which was the last data I had. And then Adult Protective Services uh, substantiation rates are extremely low less than 5% in recent years, and they divide their allegations into exploitation, abuse, and neglect. Okay, those are really low figures, it seems. What if they do substantiate a claim and find that something bad did happen? Well, when the health department finds problems, they'll do financial penalties, but the fines are typically pretty low. You have to pay a fine for each day you're not following your own policies. So you can have a death at a facility and they find an, a violation associated with the death and be charged. You could be charged $250 for failing to follow your own policies and procedures. Um, I covered a case where a guy killed himself at a behavioral health facility and staff didn't notice for half a day that even though they're supposed to be watching him all the time, um, he had he had killed himself. They were fined seven thousand five hundred in that particular case. That facility had five deaths, including three suicides um, at that time since 2011. But the state didn't shut it down. They worked with them to have better policies. Uh, and within Adult Protective Services, if they do substantiate a finding. They can um, put a, that perpetrator on a public list of known perpetrators against vulnerable adults. And is that list public? It's public, but it's not easy to find. It's on the DES website. What can people do to choose a 
good or a safe facility for their loved ones? Well, the state has a website called AZ Care Check, and you can see if there's an enforcement action against the facility, and you can read what the violation is, and you can use that information to decide if you think you want to send your loved one to a place that has violations, for example, not giving someone the medication they need, which is a common one that facilities get violations for. But the records only go back three years, which can be a problem in identifying trends. So is Arizona's light regulatory touch resulting in this sort of environment that you're describing where it seems like there's lack of accountability in action? Has, has, what has the state done, for example, with the number of inspectors or to the budget for these regulatory agencies? Well, this is an area that warrants more research. The short answer is I don't know. The state says it's conducted slightly more than 12,000 surveys of facilities in 2018. In addition to fault facilities for vulnerable adults, they license medical facilities, including hospitals and child care centers and others. The agency's budget is about $478 million, and I don't have more specific numbers, but it's something I'm trying to get. What is your big investigative takeaway, given your months of reporting on Hacienda and, as a result, the kind of larger facility, uh, facility, healthcare facilities here in Arizona more broadly? There's no meaningful supervision or consequences for these care facility systems. There just isn't. And our state agencies need to, need to do a, more to make consumers aware of what's available to them in terms of recourse. Last thing, uh, what resources are out there for people who are concerned about care for their loved ones in any care facility? Uh, the places you can call um, for, you know, with complaints, allegations, there's a medical board, there's a nursing home administrative board, uh, there's a, a board for nursing home and assisted living administrators, there's the Department of Health Services, and you can contact the Republic um, here to help AZ by calling 602-444-2255. In addition, Adult Protective Services has a hotline, and that's 1-877-SOS-ADULT. And if people want to read your stories on Hacienda, where can they find them? The best thing you could do is subscribe to AZ Central and the Arizona Republic. This story is considered part of our premium content that we're offering readers right now. That means it's exclusive to subscribers, and it gives you a deep look into the problems and the results of our investigations. Well, thank you so much for bringing your expertise on this issue to the podcast. Anglin, where can people find you on Twitter? At Robert Anglin. And Stephanie? At Stephanie Innes. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Thanks for having us. Okay, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts, looking at the political angle of all of this. Um, Yvonne, what strikes you when you think about this whole situation with Hacienda? Well, I think on a more broad level, we do hear a lot about vulnerable children. We hear a lot about the Department of Child Welfare, but we don't hear about vulnerable adults. I don't hear any of our state leaders talking about this issue on a consistent basis. I heard a lot of outrage initially from high-profile Republicans and a lot of Democrats, but very consistently, I don't hear a lot of people talking about this. And 
you know, as someone who had aging parents very recently and knows what it's like to take care of them, that's troubling. My big question is, policy-wise, where do they go from here? So it would seem like one obvious policy response would be to follow the recommendation that the state has already gotten to um, expand the funding for adult protective services. They're underfunded and have been for some time. Down at the state legislature, it does seem on some level that you have groups consistently talking about the need to fund a lot of these programs uh, by quite a bit of money. But those issues tend to be outshined, if you will, by some of the more sexier issues of the day. University bonding programs, uh, gun safety issues, uh, freedom schools, for example. And these are the more routine you know, requests that affect people's lives in a meaningful way that tend to not really be covered uh, in a in a more mainstream way by the media or by some of the committees that are chaired by uh, some of these very high profile Republicans who could wield their platforms in a way that could result in a lot of money for um, these programs. Yeah, sadly, it seems that it takes these kinds of tragedies to get everyone to sit up and pay attention to a system as um, as neglected as this one, it sounds. And we know that the Disabilities Council is focused on funding for adult protective services. We are also in a time frame where elected officials are gearing up for the next legislative session, which will begin in January. And I would expect or would hope that some of these issues might be tackled in, uh, in a big way moving towards January. So I think, you know, how the Republican-controlled legislature decides to um, advance some of these reforms remains to be seen. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you do have concerns about the care of your loved ones, your friends, your families, please refer to the notes in our episode where we will have contacts for you to report those concerns. And as Stephanie said, if you want to contact the Republic, please do so. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez with oversight from Kayla White. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.